0: Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. You're listening to the Diverse Tech Founders podcast, the show that brings you the one thing older than capital, people just like you and me. And I'm your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Thank you for listening. Welcome Diverse Tech Founders family. We have another amazing episode ready to go for you this week. Is there such a thing as fitness tech? If you've ever been in a gym or out at your home and you're wondering if there's something beyond just getting your weight down or getting your weight up, how can you transform your life using fitness? Now, when we sit down with Elijah this week, he's going to break down his previous history in the tech startup scene and his experience in the venture capital arena and some great advice that he received and also how he pivoted and will plan to pivot again doing something that all of us should probably take a look at a little bit more and that's our own personal fitness and health. His insights are clearly from years of soaking up that good game that I'm just happy that he decided to share with us today. Now let's get right into it. Tell us kind of a little bit of background, because people may not know that you are well-seasoned sort of in this space. You have had quite a bit of, of knowledge and, and, and come out of it kind of better, and it's, you know, kind of pivoted you into this current role. So why don't you just give us a little bit more about sort of that tech background and, and your initial startup idea and why you decided to move on?
1: Yeah, man. So that's that's a great question. At the University of Buffalo, I was a college student. I was a healthy dude. I was I was a personal trainer. I've been a I've been trainer since 18. That's when I got my cert. I started, you know, kind of tapping into some of the entrepreneurship initiatives that they had like on campus, different like pitch competitions and stuff like that. And it was really cool. And one day I came across this, uh, this sign on campus and it read "Win a thousand dollars in 90 seconds. And I was like, that's, that doesn't sound too bad. And so it was a Shark Tank style elevator pitch and it was a 90 second pitch and you had to come up with an idea. And so I walked past the office and then I went into the office and and, and the host of the Competition was there and they kind of spoke to me about what the competition consists of. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, I, I think of an idea though. And one of the things I wanted to do was say, okay, what, what is something that people would want? What are some, some problems people are dealing with? And I realized that as a healthy guy on campus, I was cost efficient and I was very conscious of the food that I ate. So I never ate my food on campus. Now, granted, I ran a fitness club on campus. I was part of a fraternity. I had class on campus, so I was on campus around like 11 to 15 hours a day, and I noticed this problem of me always having to carry around my lunchbox, and it was a small problem. But it began to be magnified with just the small nuances of my day, like I would have class on one part of the campus and then have class all the way on a separate campus across town and I would like forget my lunchbox. That. and it would just create these small little nuances of of inconveniences in my day and on top of that you know i might see a cute girl or whatever you know, want to pull up on her and i got this this big lunch box in my hand like it's just cramping my style a little bit and so I, as i thought about what would i what could i think about pitching inside this competition i walked past some vending machines and i said wow you know i really wish it wasn't a vending machine that sold me food but i wish there was a vending machine where i kind of just paid for a slot to store my food, keep it chill, keep it cold, and kind of go throughout my day. And so that was the inception of the idea of cold space. This is my first tech venture. We were building an on demand refrigeration venue system for college campuses. So, mostly primarily high commuter student uh, population based universities. Um, where essentially a student come to school and feel comfortable, you know, bringing a protein shake, bringing a salad, bringing their certain foods from their specific cultures that the school doesn't accommodate via dining, and just be able to have a place to store and have have that ease of mind around eating on campus a day, uh, during throughout the day. And so that was where it started. And so what we were doing was we were building a we were building hardware as well as the software. We were literally building a fridge locker um, and the software to accommodate that and to accommodate the way that our customers or our users, which were the students wanted to interact with the product like that. And so it was a really, really cool journey. It was my first time. I had no technical background at all. I'm just a dude who just knows how to sell, know how to pitch, but to talk to people. And so I brought my two co-founders on, which were which were my friends at the moment who were also in a fraternity that I was in. And uh, we still didn't have technical backgrounds. We all just had business backgrounds. And we started to kind of go out and learn about how we can develop this idea. And we started out with just the idea, and we transitioned into an MVP, and then we transitioned into expanding the team out. And we're getting an engineering team, a software dev team, and we really just started building and moving and kind of going through this extremely iterative process of bringing this product to market and learning so much things inside of that process. You know, uh, just so much things. So I guess I can. I'll allow you to ask me some of the questions of the things because it's just so many lessons inside of that, man. It still brings me value today from product development to just mindset to learning how to create more value, learning how to speak to your customers, all these different things that a lot of times we don't really consider when we start our first businesses if we're not inside of that tech high growth space. And so it was, it was really an amazing journey, man. What ended up happening is we got to a point where we were just really just well underfunded. In capital, as you know, you know soft, a software startup is is one thing, but when you have a hard tech startup, um, you're looking at a lot, a lot of overhead costs. And so we got to the point where it's not just that we lacked the financial capital, but we also lacked the the social capital, and uh, I would also say the mental capital, the ability to have certain skill sets to move forward. And at that moment, we were kind of a, at a phase in our lives where we were like two and a half years out of undergraduate, and you know, you seem really passionate about this. And at the time, she understood some of the roles that we were going through. Do you see yourself running this startup for the next 10 years? Because I know that based on what you learn, you have this like J curve and it's like five years and you get to market and then all of a sudden, like you're, you know, evaluated at $60 million startup. She's like, but 99% of the times it does not work out like that. And she said, you have to understand that if you want to play this game, it's got to be the long run. And you have to ask yourself, does this align with your vision to be building this for 10 years? At that time, I was really taking my own spiritual journey into purpose. And with that specific startup, it was a great market opportunity. But given the lacking skill sets that we had, as well as where we were at, as well as where I was at inside of my mind, we decided that it was better to just put forth what was going to be next for us in our own, in our own entrepreneurial endeavors. So that we kind of had cut it out there, three-year run in tech, man, but it was really great, uh, raised uh, raised more money than I've ever raised before uh, with any venture and just learned a lot at an extremely rapid pace, man.
0: That's a powerful story. And now that you've whet our appetite with your background and your history, <laughs> we all want to know now, what is the Grind Tribe and from where did this idea come?
1: Um, yeah, man. So the Grind Tribe is a uh, fitness and peak performance community for minority entrepreneurs. And this actually came out of my experience being inside of the startup high growth entrepreneurial space because you know i I was already a health professional Uh, i was already a fitness trainer and when i when i got into this space i started to realize immediately that like nobody actually cared about their health everybody was all about business and pizza coffee do whatever you got to do to get it done and i found it pretty problematic for me because i saw i was somebody that valued health But one thing that I realized is that as I personally began to burn out physically and emotionally inside of that startup, I wasn't really awarded the opportunity to make the amount of mistakes that somebody else could, coming from a background where they have more financial, social, and mental capital being poured into their business. It's simple. As usually as minority founders in tech, not all the time, but a large majority of the time, we start off with with a a lack in certain set of resources and so when we don't have that that large amount of resources to give us that cushion room and that acceleration to move forward the decisions that we make will weigh heavily on our our businesses and our ventures future a lot a lot more than a person with resources for example if you don't have a lot of money and you pivot in the wrong direction and spend a you know a lot of money on on some product dev in the wrong direction and now you're kind of i call it the Minority business limbo it was like, we're always kind of in this chase, especially starting up to like balance, like capacity and finances and actually getting the needle moving forward inside of business. And I realized like, there's no way I can afford to not be operating at my highest physical and mental capacity like my health, like my day-to-day energy is extremely important. My my ability to uh, you know, have sound mental health and have a level of clarity and confidence in myself is really important because I just am not awarded the opportunity to make a large amount of mistakes with so much on the line and with so little to start with. And so I realized that that's the case for a lot of entrepreneurs out there, a lot of Black men and Black women inside of this space. And I was like, you know what, I want to be able to make a change because I think that another part of it is that inside of our community, we have valued hard work and hustle because of the adversity that we face so heavily that we've almost been duped into normalizing trading our health for success which is one thing I don't think our community needs to be doing at all, you know. And so that's kind of the message behind the Grind Tribe. Um, I specifically work with businessmen of color and um, really put them through an iterative process inside of getting to not just their fitness goals, but their overall peak performance goals from, you know, the energy to their routine to their, you know, production, you know, their producing power, everything that's within alignment of being at that highest physical and mental capacity as an entrepreneur.
0: Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now back to the show. Very mission driven. Love it. Thank you. I know that your program isn't for everybody though. And why don't you uh, just explain a little bit more. What is that technical solution that you're providing that you really can't get anywhere else?
1: That's, That's quite interesting that you say technical solution. Because inside of coaching, there are a lot of technical tools that I use to provide my solution. But my solution is really a uh, a culture, a community, and a roadmap. And so those are delivered in specific technological ways. But ultimately, it's one of the biggest thing is that People need clarity. We live in an age of so much information that, that ease of mind is, is at such high value for all of us. And so when you look at the average guy who's running a business or building a startup and he's got maybe a family or maybe he's got a full-time job at the same time, you know, the amount of information that he has to do, whatever he's trying to do is just so vast, let alone trying to say, okay, I know where I wanna be with my body. I know that I'm not liking the way I feel. Uh, or, or look right now. So how do I take that approach? Most of us simply just don't even have the ease of mind, right? That, that step forward there. And then when we do do it and we run into challenges like the business of life or work or stress, we don't have the environment and we don't have necessarily the correct things in place to get us through those challenges. So that's where I come in as a coach because my job as a coach is to not just give somebody information, but it's to provide them with the, the solutions when they run into challenges implementing the information. And going back to your question on, you know, why do I work with such a, like, so specifically with one person, I I would rather work with people who I can understand their stories and their struggles. Because I can understand where your belief patterns are right now and where you need to shift your mindset to win and achieve what you want to achieve because I've been there before. And that allows me to show up 100% as a coach, 100% as myself, but more importantly, 100% understanding that this is something that you are capable of and I've got this specific roadmap for you. And so I would say the technical solution sort of lies in my relationship with the
0: men that I coach. Got it. So now I want to kind of get into how you validated this idea. It's a great idea. You're providing some really high-performing interventions for high-performing people whose body may not be as high-performing as they could be. You mentioned cold space back in the day on campus and how you validated it, how your your lunch pail kind of impacted your game. I'm sure it's (laughs) not just men. I'm sure, you know, anybody kind of walking around with that lunchbox, it would make it more difficult to to kind of game or be game. So totally get that. Now, take us through in the grind tribe. How did you have that same experience? Was it just your own or how did you validate outside of yourself that people would really want this type and style of coaching?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. And so I would say parts of it were were already sort of validated. I mean, we know people go out and buy coaching. We know people go out and buy, you know, invest into fitness coaching, uh, online coaching, whatever that may be. But inside of this specific way of delivering that, I really just took a very customer discovery-based process. At the time, before I had worked with, before I started working with the niche of men that I work with now exclusively, I was working with everybody. So I worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. I worked with women, athletes, young people, old people. And so the people that were of the niche that I work with now, I kind of just started to sit down and just ask them questions and just listen. And what I began to learn was that what I'm offering here is not just fitness. It's not just, uh, you know, a new morning routine, right? It's the ability to operate at a higher capacity. And I think that the, one of the biggest things as men is that getting in shape is one thing, maybe feeling a little bit better is, is one thing. But the level of consistency inside of your lifestyle, especially as somebody who's still coming up, where a lot of times your, your shortcomings are kind of being put in right in front of your face, whether it be your bank account, whether it be the growth of your business, whether it be coming from other different spaces of life, that level of consistency that you have holistically is really, really important. And specifically for us as men. And as I begin to kind of talk to my niche of men and kind of just really listen to them, I begin to really understand like, wow, this, this is so much bigger than just fitness, right? How many guys feel like, I just don't feel like I'm giving my business my all. And when I go home at night, that's kind of a thought that haunts me, a thought that creates this negative self-talk, this doubt in my mind, which is you know, the things that come in, come in the way of my day to day. And I began to just really just take note and listen and ask, okay, well, how can this be improved? How can this problem really be solved? And then from there, I really just started testing and iterating this process. Um, I started working with small cohorts of men and just kind of iterating this process, working with men in cohorts of five weeks and so in cohorts of three months. And I, I kind of worked this, this process over, over and over again and realizing where are the optimization points? Is it in fitness? Is it in mindset? Is it in nutrition? Is it in overall peak performance? All these different aspects of my coaching, and I kind of just kind of began to nail it down and understand what are the what are the measures that I want my men to achieve inside this program. Because with fitness, it's very simple. It's like, okay, what do you want to weigh? How can you get there? Okay, how much do you want to be able to lift, or you know, how quick do you be want to be able to run? You know, a five k. And so, very numbers driven. But we start looking at peak performance. That looks number one. It looks different for everybody. And so, I had to really rule out what what that what are those metrics for different types of people? And how can I take a numbers driven approach to improving those metrics? Because now we have something foundational here that I can actually coach.
0: A lot of our, our listeners are in corporate America. They're working demanding day jobs. They might want to jump out there in the entrepreneurial space. How did you do it? I mean, you talked about being a student and making that transition. How does that compare to being in the working world, working a demanding job and then transitioning over to a full time full-blown entrepreneur? That's a great question
1: because I worked inside the corporate space for about three weeks. I did an internship my college year and I quit. I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. I was just very, I was just going through my own personal journey in my life at that time, especially as a black man. And I began to work in a space that wasn't emotionally, like There was a lot of emotional resistance in my everyday work, just inside of this internship. Due to, you know, just lack of diversity, lack of understanding of who I am. I wouldn't really say I have the answers there, one thing I would say though is going to be, it's gonna be the shift in your mindset. It's gonna be the shift in your belief patterns, right? And so I didn't have to shift my belief patterns from a corporate mindset to full-time entrepreneurial business owner mindset, but I did have to go and shift my belief patterns from just like a, a college student to a, a entrepreneur. And so either way, the shifting of the mindset part, I would say still stands because inside of working in a, in a corporate space, you know, I know a lot of people that work corporate and sometimes unless you're 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 trying to really, really get to that next level. There's not a lot of self development inside of that space. You're, people, the people around you aren't necessarily always inspiring you to do new things. And so, you know, even just the mindset of around when I get home, I'm ready to clock out. These are certain things that are going to go through your mind. Right. That These are attached to your space right now, which is you work and you get a check every, you know, two weeks. Or every week or however you get paid but now when you start to shift into that entrepreneurial mindset number one you have to understand that your mindsets around producing are different because you've actually got to produce to get paid as opposed to just work to get paid right and so that corporate mindset as long as i stay awake get it done and you know i'm I'm doing my job i'm not like not doing my job and i get paid that changes from like okay i i need to learn how to embrace the mindset of how can i produce and really, really, be strongly deadline driven um, as well as really just that mindset around lifestyle man. Wow. that mindset around lifestyle, because if you are a person who you are in corporate right now and you you decompressed your stress in things from work in unhealthy ways, then you are 100% going to carry that into entrepreneurship. And that shit will burn you down real quick as an entrepreneur. And so I think that's really big because as an entrepreneur, you're, you're like your level of energy and your mental health is going to be really, really important day to day because it's such a self- Onion peeling journey every day. You're learning so many new things about yourself. If you're not in the right mindset, it can really just kind of send you on an emotional roller coaster. That's not good for producing. It's not good for leading, um, and it's just not good for the mindset needed to be an entrepreneur. So I would say be ready to shift your belief patterns. The your belief patterns around money, your belief patterns around production, the belief patterns around the way that you spend your time. Because although I haven't worked in that corporate space, I would say those are gonna be the things that need to shift no matter where you're going if you're entering this new journey into entrepreneurship.
0: Your drive is inspiring, it really is. And it sounds like when you work with corporate clients, you're able to help them to perform as best as they can in that environment. It may not be entrepreneurial, but maybe being a producer doesn't matter where you are. And I think that's, that's what you're getting at. And I would imagine that you're trying to build and you have built, you know, in your own right, a team. Can you talk to us about your decision about bringing on co-founders, not bringing on co-founders and what you were thinking as you continue to grow?
1: Absolutely, man. Bringing on co-founders is, I've definitely made my fair share of mistakes in just co-founder relationships, bringing on co-founders, all that kind of stuff, right? That's a conversation where we, we there's multiple ways we can go about it, right? And so number one is the idea of, thinking you can do it alone, right? This I can do it alone mindset, this mindset that some of us grew up with because like, we grew up with that super, super independent mindset. And one thing I want to say is, if especially if you still work in corporate, your ability to have a well-functioning team can determine a 10x in growth in, in what you're doing versus just like kind of just being stuck and burnt out and being in that limbo. And so building a team is definitely something you always want to consider. Now, the way that you build it, is going to be based on i would say number one what is the level of of effort and expertise that other people are bringing into your into your business but also i think at the foundation it's it's going to be like are they sharing the same purpose inside of this as you are they sharing the same purpose do they have the same drive and passion towards you know this message or or this this solution you're trying to deliver to the marketplace as you do because if they don't there there may be disagreements down the line and sometimes people may not but I think that gets into my last portion, learning how to set expectations, right? There's a difference between founder's mindset and, and somebody who may be hired as a CEO, right? Or COO, because the founder is the one who's willing to go all in, get his or her hands dirty and sacrifice a lot. And sometimes as founders, when we're bringing on co-founders, we expect people who come from slightly different maybe backgrounds than us or just different experiences in life than us to carry that same amount of passion and risk that we do and so what that does is it sometimes leaves room for miscommunication and the worst thing that you can do inside of a partnership is have a miscommunication or misunderstanding of expectations it's literally like a marriage (laughs) there's got to be communication there's got to be a certain level of expectations set because once you're deep in, those miscommunications, those lack of expectations from each other can really, really create a lot of potential turmoil and slow, uh, really slow the business growth. Um, and so that's only from my personal experience. You know, I guess when, when we're talking about splitting equity and stuff, that's kind of a more of a conversation depending on what your model looks like. A really good book on learning how to split equity as a founder is Slicing the Pie. I forgot who the author was, um, but it really uh, teaches you about equity cliffs and just being able to allow people to work into the equity that they want whether you're looking at the different terms of the type of equity that you're giving people, but it really all depends on the business. I, I run a lifestyle business right now. And so with my online coaching, coaching is not scalable. Now I'm also building a community, which means I also have an ability to have a community to test an MVP for something that is high growth and scalable down the line, which is my approach towards my business at the moment. But inside of that, inside of a lifestyle business, I personally prefer to be the 100% owner inside of, my company at the moment. Now, when it comes to building something high growth, where the level of skill sets are in different capacities and they weigh so much on the growth, such as technical development, access to capital, that may be a different story. But inside of a lifestyle or small business, I prefer to be the sole co-founder. That doesn't mean I won't have people on my team, but as from from a founder from an equity perspective, I prefer to own 100%. Um, or as much as I can.
0: Those are lessons from the trenches for sure. And it sounds like you've, <laughs> you've had a, a sort of a long journey and a lot of a lot of things to consider uh, in that realm. Uh, switching yeah. gears a little bit, uh, you mentioned it's a lifestyle business and that it's going to lead to something that's high growth in the future. That's your plan from the jump. What yep. would you do with the million dollars in funding today? First thing I
1: would do <laughs> with a million dollars in funding today, uh, first thing that i would do is go to the bank and turn so make sure i can turn that million uh, that 1 million dollars into 5 or 10 million dollars so there are, there are different ways when we're speaking in, in the concept of business credit that if you could, you can actually go to a bank with a certain amount of capital and secure yourself more capital this is something i've learned you know in my in my recent understandings of again knowledge on how to acquire more financial capital. That would be the first thing I would, I would immediately figure out how to turn that $1 million into about $5 million of potential cash flow, And then from there, I would take a small portion and invest in myself, right? Because I have this cushion of cash and now what I need to do is I need to understand what is the mindsets that I need to have to be able to make this money work for me. And this is one thing that a lot of people don't consider. It's like, okay, I will put it into marketing, I will put it into, I would hire this person, but one thing we don't, and it goes back to what I talked about inside of that, transferring from corporate to full-time entrepreneurship, how will your mindset need to change? What old belief patterns will you need to strip? The way you spend a million dollars right now may not be the person who spends it, may not be the way that a person who can turn a million dollars into a hundred million spends a million dollars. So you gotta go out and acquire either those skill sets, and you gotta peel the onion, to the next layer of what beliefs do I need to understand about money, right? And I'll, and I'll give you an example. I, I run, I do digital marketing for my business. I do my own digital marketing, right? I grew up in a West Indian household where I was taught to save money very, very well. And so I was, I was always a person who valued having just seeing money in my bank account. My grandma used to call it pocket change. Make sure you always have your pocket change, Elijah, right? Now, when you go into a space where in digital marketing, you're learning how to turn your business into uh, a system where you can put $1 in and you want it to come back with a dollar at minimum, right? To break even or maybe two, three, four, five friends. Now I had to shift my mindset around saving and hoarding money versus letting it leave me and come back with friends. The second thing I would do with that million dollars is go invest in, see what is the mindset that I need to move forward. And then from there is just applying it to the right places inside of the business, the right places of growth. Who are the right people that I need around me? who are the right people that I need access to, um, and what are the metrics, the key performance metrics inside of the business that I can put capital into or put capital into their systems to just simply push it forward. That's kind of how I utilize that that million dollars.
0: Super powerful. And to be honest, I think this is the first time anybody has said, one, that they would flip it 5x and put it right back sort of into themselves and really try to get a hundred million dollar mindset with that million dollars. I think that is a phenomenal approach and way of going about thinking about it. You've consistently been dropping gems since we started, both from your previous experience with Cold Space and now with the Grind Tribe, where you're coaching people in high performance. In your own view, what's the most profitable piece of advice that you've gotten since you first started? Kind of, it could either be with Cold Space in, the, in that moment or with the Grind Tribes. Wow,
1: okay. <laughs> Man, that's... uh. When your mind is in a state of scarcity, do the opposite of what you're thinking.
0: That's a true mic-drop situation. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, well, we're going to shift gears yet again, more on the cultural scene, and there are a variety of answers that folks have heard uh, when we ask this particular question, uh, from rejecting it completely to fully embracing it and not being able to choose just one person. but uh, what? Artist sort of most inspires the work that you do. There are a lot of parallels uh, between artists and, you know, tech entrepreneurs or, or lifestyle entrepreneurs in many ways. Artists in their own right are entrepreneurs from day one. So which artists do you sort of look to for that inspiration that that kind of models what you're doing? Are you found that what they do is applicable to how you approach the Grind Tribe? All
1: right. So one one artist I would say is is 50 Cent. 50 Cent has really opened me up into learning how to diversify, um, learning how to understand that although your passion and your talent is attached to something, you also want to think about what the marketplace is actually looking and asking for. And so learning how to balance your passion, your talent for something versus your business mind. So looking at obviously what 50 has done from he's grown to, you know, to power, even inside of his book, man, hustle harder, hustle smarter. There were just like so many different gems dropped in there, especially about understanding when to diversify, when to move forward, when to pull back on certain things. Um, I think that was really, 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 really a lot of context there. Obviously we got Jay. Uh, Jay's just level of business acumen, his level of growth inside of uh, inside of the, the way that he does business from his music to his investments, to all of his ventures, you know what I'm saying? Extremely impressive. Then on the other side, I got Damon Dash, like taking a real life, culturally proud approach and really just dropping gems into the minds of young artists around how to embrace ownership specifically, because I'm very, very big on ownership. So we got Damon Dash and then we got, well, people that we shifted into other different capacities. So like, I listen to a rapping in Currency <laughs> and I've been listening to him since like ninth grade. And he has never ever went mainstream, but he's a very, 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 very successful artist. And the reason why is because he has always stayed true to himself. He has always built a culture around his music, a culture that people resonate with that in such a strong way that he has so many different ways to monetize off that outside of going and mainstream that he's, he lives comfortably. He lives comfortably. His music has always been in the heart. I haven't heard a single take from him that wasn't, hmm, who was he trying to bend his or lean his music to? It's always just been him and just his message and staying strong to what he's about and just his flow and his style and not feeling like he had to change that for anybody or or anything. And so, especially when it comes to the grind tribe, I'm I'm big on standing for something inside of the marketplace. In the beginning of 2020, um, I really went all in on, the Grand Tribe, and the niche of men that I was working with. And it was kind of challenging for me because I said, well, who am I to say I'm only going to work with Black men, Black and Brown men? I don't know if people are going to try to ostracize me. I don't know if people are going to try to tell me that I'm racist, <laughs> right? But inside of that, I said, no, nah, I just know what I stand for. And I know who my message is for, and who can help at a true, truly, truly deep level. And not to say that it cannot help plenty of other people but i just know what it feels like to be black entrepreneur upcoming struggling to balance life burning out feeling like you're not enough feeling like you don't know when that major breakthrough is going to come and just kind of always fighting this battle of i don't have enough i don't come from enough versus i know i can achieve it i know i can work for it how do i find this middle ground because i'm i'm not victim i don't have a victim mindset but also I'm not gonna spin my wheels with a method that has worked for people that did not come from the same experiences of me. You know what I'm saying? It did not come from the same lack of capital in those multiple capacities of me. And so, as I begin to look at, you know, what type of rappers, like when I think about currency, just staying true to that message and who he is, that's kind of how I like to play
0: inside of the marketplace with wellness and what I do. That's a great answer. Uh, clearly, uh, hip hop in particular, New York hip hop has had a huge impact on you. <laughs> there. That, yeah, that's a very good. I respect it, you know. I put on for, for the area where you come from. You touched on on this a little bit as well, in, in the ways that your background is sort of or the mindset that was offered to you kind of along your journey could have made it a little bit more difficult. But how has your background made it easier for you to succeed? Ah, uh, see,
1: this is what this is the question that I like. Because uh, that's another thing, right? I think that it's very easy to kind of sit on the adversity that you face faced because of the color of your skin and not take into consideration the advantages that you have because of the color of your skin, right? And um, when, you, when, when I answer that question for me, it's like one of the greatest things I have had an advantage of is just my level of drive, my level of passion. Really, I would say that in it motivation, because something like generational wealth is just simply non-negotiable to me. So anytime I'm in a pit, I'm feeling stuck, my bank account is low, I'm just in the deficit business-wise, potentially. I'm just like, well, I got to figure this shit out. And so I think that 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 evergreen sort of motivation and in it drive that comes from being a Black entrepreneur is 100% an event. I'm, I'm not afraid of having a conversation with anybody. I'm not afraid of going out there and just pitching to somebody and and, and going out there and seeking an opportunity. It may just be, uh, you know, just my own personal experiences. I don't know if it was growing up in New York, but when I want something, I'm gonna go out there and get it. I'm gonna make it happen. And so that's a mindset that I feel like sometimes people who come from, you know, more privileged backgrounds or backgrounds that they have more access to certain things, it's not in it and it's it's their, that's their struggle, going out there and just uh, having courage. And so I think that courage, um, being purpose-driven, And having that level of it motivation and passion is something that's 100% an advantage
0: of coming from my background and my experiences your energy is just elevating our energy i'm feeling inspired more as you kind of keep going into it uh, and that's that's awesome and, and i'm wondering as well how your movement you know sort of across borders might be informing the growth as well a lot of entrepreneurs may feel like they could do better in another city or they may transition and i believe you're in atlanta right now can you just talk to to all of us really about How that transition has helped you, like how your background in New York has helped you in Atlanta's burgeoning startup scene and how moving geographically has spurred your growth. Before I moved to Atlanta, I lived in Buffalo because I I was
1: born and raised in Long Island, New York. I went to Buffalo to go to school, to go to college, and then I was running my startup in Buffalo's, Texas. I stayed up there because it was really cheap to live. I could have my own apartment and not, you know, feel like I had to live with my parents. Um, And it was really important for my peace of mind to do that while running my startup. Uh, But what I started realizing there is, is is, is, it was environment for me. I love Buffalo, but Buffalo's small. And I think that for me, especially being from New York, I need to see a lot. I need to see the bigger picture. I need to see people who come from my background doing really big things because self-efficacy is really, really important inside of my level of drive. And so when I made the decision to move, it was really just around, I need to get in a new environment. And the reason why is because your environment will ultimately dictate your habits. It will dictate your thought patterns. It will dictate your vision. And if you're in an environment that you feel at a certain point is becoming limiting, then you've got to try to get yourself out of that environment as soon as possible. I mean, at the minute that I moved down here in Atlanta, like, I felt like just being in a bigger city, my horizons just expanded. I, I was literally looking at my, my, my written goals for my business and saying, wow, I'm playing too small here. I'm playing way too small here. What? Who, what the? I was like, Yo, are you serious right now? This is playing too small right now, and it's because just being inside of an environment where I can see bigger things. I'm seeing. I'm like, Atlanta's full of a lot of black success, and I really, really value an environment that has a lot of black success. Obviously, me being in Atlanta, it's full of that. And so that was one component, but also the level of entrepreneurship and cohesion amongst people of color down here is really I've been down in Atlanta a lot of times before. And one thing that I really, really loved about the city. And so being able to be around entrepreneurs and movers and shakers that are trying to make things happen, that are doing things, that are doing things at a grand level it's just was just really important for me. I needed to be around, you know, I needed to be around a big fish. And that's kind of how I see it, seen it in my mind. And so coming down here, I just immediately set it out to just network and meet as many people as I can and just really sort of explore um, just that level of, of bigger energy. And, and, and that environment has 100% helped me, even just the way my in my day-to-day now. Um, I'm just more, I personally find that when I'm in a bigger environment with a lot more happening, I'm just more better with my time. I know it's like, because when you can see what's on the other side, it's like, all right, it, it's a sense of urgency begins to pick up a little bit which is really, really needed when sometimes we
0: find ourselves in mental ruts or being unmotivated in business. That's motivating. It really is. And I'm sure all of the folks uh, in Georgia and Atlanta specifically are going to love that. And, and hopefully I'm out here. <laughs> ready. If you want to take it to the next 100%. level, uh, by all means, go for it. Uh, I know that the grind tribe you mentioned is is about a lot of different things. Solely is sort of about improving the performance of folks across various channels in ways that that they can really identify with. But if you had to strip everything away, if you took all of the stuff that you've learned and been providing, and folks said you only had to keep one thing, there was one feature, one benefit that you're able to provide, if you had to give up everything and kind of start over with this one thing, what would it be? The fitness transformation. So the
1: fitness transformation, so my, my program is geared around peak performance, but the, one of the biggest measurable tracks is the fitness transformation aspect of it because it's so, it's, it's so simply numbers driven and it's so tangible. And so if I were to boil back my program from mindset to peak performance, to focus and productivity, if I were to boil back all those different accords to just the one thing that I offer, I would definitely say it's going to be the fitness
0: transformation. And the reason why is because... Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now back to the show.
1: What comes after
0: that is a transformation of mind. I've
1: never seen anybody
0: go through a,
1: a transformation, a fitness transformation or, inside, or change inside of their body that they wanted and desired for a specific reason. And then not come out and say, wow, like I transformed my mind along with this. And so the reason why is because you have to do all those things to Transform your body. You have to shift your belief patterns. You have to be, you know, learn about delayed gratification. You have to put in the work. And so there's so many aspects of that transformation alone that already kind of brings you towards the direction of peak performance that I would keep it in that accord if I didn't have these other different skill sets in these other different spaces. Um, and so if I were to boil the grind tribe, peel it back and just and to just be doing one thing, I would be just
0: helping entrepreneurs get in shape. That's real. And it's very specific. I mean, it could be broadly applicable, but somebody who wants to transform, that's something that you can work with sort of no matter what. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm curious to know if you've had a, a pivotal moment and if you have had a pivotal moment, can you describe sort of that pivot that you think saved your company or put you on a different path to, to more growth or saved you a lot of agony? Yes.
1: Pivoting to work with the niche that I'm working with right now. I had been online coaching for a while. I was training a lot of different people. It was January in 2020 where I decided two things. Number one, I was exclusively only going to work with my niche of minority men, and also that I was going to completely take my business online. Now, foresight. <laughs> we live in a a racially charged environment where the 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 need for kinship amongst other black men is really really important to our mental health. We also don't you know, we've got gyms opening and closing right now. Being online gives me the opportunity to serve my customers at a highest amount of value without having to worry about that being a hindrance and the way I can serve them as well as the revenue I can create for myself. And so the biggest thing I would say that allowed me to pivot in that direction was was when I started to realize that I started looking at the model of online fitness and I started looking at the model which is coaching, period. And and I really realized that, you know, what what drives people to to, to move forward and progress is a couple of small things like clarity, programming, but it's also culture and community. And I was working with a marketing coach because online, again, I, I said, okay, I'm going to go online. I've got to learn because this, this, the way that you, you know, achieve customer acquisition, being an in-person training versus online are two totally different ways. And so I said, okay, cool. I invested in a marketing coach and he asked me, he said, Elijah, who is your niche? <clears throat> and I was like, I don't know, entrepreneurs. Like that's what I can relate to. And he's like, go deeper, bro. Like, you, you got to realize there's different types of entrepreneurs. There's, an, uh, there's a CEO of a multi million dollar or Fortune 500 company. And then there's like a 25 a year old who's still on the come up. And then there's like, there's, there's men, there's women, there's entrepreneurs that come from different backgrounds and spaces. Who can you truly show up to and truly relate to their problems and their pains? So that way, when they bring you those problems and those pains, you can 100% passionately fulfill them and create value. See, as a coach, when people don't understand that as a coach, it's extremely easy to burn yourself out. There are a lot of coaches who are depressed because when you work with so many people that sometimes bring you their baggage that you either cannot serve or fulfill or you cannot understand, it brings you down. It brings you down because you know at heart that you can't truly fulfill and serve them. And you also it's bringing you down because they're bringing this, this negative baggage too. Because everybody, when they're being coached, whether it's a business coach, a marketing coach, a founder coach, every the coach's job is to be like, okay, here's where you're at right now. Here's what you got to do to get to the next level. And I'm going to help coach you mindset wise and give you the roadmap to get there. But inside of that, all the previous patterns, behaviors that we all have with ourselves is going to get in the way. And we're going to bring that to our coaches, right? I mean, when I first had a marketing coach, dude, I, I don't feel comfortable like spending money on marketing on ads every day. It's like, bro, how, how do you expect to get data? How do you expect to move faster? How do you expect to iterate? Start Stop stop looking at, at it as spending money on ads versus investing to get data so that way you can move faster, position yourself in the marketplace better and reach the right customers and get in front of the right customers. I said, oh, wow. But inside of that, when you're not really working with people who you can truly relate to at heart and you're working with a lot of, like a lot of people, it can become draining. And I think that... From, from a sense of my actual, the effectiveness of my fitness program, as well as my own mental health. If I wouldn't have done those two things, it, I would have crashed and burned. I wouldn't have been able to create this level of value inside of my program. And I would have just been simply burnt out working with so many different types of people that have so many different types of problems.
0: I hadn't thought about that. I'm gonna take your word uh, on that and ease you into what we call our billion dollar question. Uh, Everybody who comes on, we ask this question. It's either billion dollars, or billion pounds, uh, euros, depending on where folks are are coming from. Do you want to run a billion-dollar company? Why or why not?
1: Wealth, to me, is freedom, right? And what does freedom mean? Freedom, to me, is freedom of time. It's freedom of anxiety or fear when it comes to money. If a billion-dollar company means me not being able to be present in any other area of my life, then I don't want to run it. And the reason why I say that is because I'm not a human being who's going to be living to make money because money is a tool. So for me to give up my own, for me to give up the things that matter most to me inside of my life, like my relationship with my family, my partner, my relationship, with my health, just to make more money, which is usually the thing, the tool that creates abundance for those areas. It's kind of contradictory. Now my biggest thing is that's just based on what I see wealth as. Right. And so wealth for me is, again, still being in a position of abundance financially and having the level of cash flow, businesses and assets to be able to do that. But if running a billion dollar company has to take away from the important things of life, then I don't want to do it like I want to be a full time all in father. I don't want to be a father who's working all the time who when I asked my son when he's 18, graduated from college, son, what can you remember best about me? He says, oh, damn, dad, you were working all the time. I think that when I look at purpose and I look at perspective, I do wanna be a father one day. I'm not a father at the moment, but I do wanna be a father. And I and I do really, really value family. And for me to for me to be able to fulfill my purpose, my deeper purpose as a father and as a leader inside of my family, I need time. I need capacity in that space because money won't fix that problem, because there are plenty of men who are, who are are public successes and private failures. And that is the most lonely place to be in life because now you don't, you have all the money. So it's like, what do I do next here? And so if running a billion dollar company puts me in a position to lose connection with the things that I find most valuable to me, then I'm not willing to do that. What I am willing to do is make sure that I am financially secure and I have the resources and the opportunity to create financial or to create generational wealth, but also have the time to foster my family to learn how to facilitate that generational wealth. Because that's a conversation that's not being held. Because if I go out and I dedicate my life to be that nonstop business guy and I become a billionaire, but my family still lives in the same mindset that doesn't know how to facilitate wealth, and I don't have the time to teach them that, we're not, we are not going to be able to hold over that wealth for a very long time. So I need time and peace of mind. I want to be the rich uncle who you can come over at his house at any time and get some game from. Not the rich uncle who's like, I'm just too busy for you guys. I'm gonna see you guys around the holidays. Don't ask me. (laughs) And so that's my answer to whether
0: I would be a billion dollar CEO or not. I like how you flipped that. You kind of shifted into professor mode there. (laughs) I respect you for it. So just, just for clarification for everybody listening, that's a yes. With a caveat. That's a yes subject. A yes to yes with the a right caveat. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Well, I'm enjoying this. I really am. And I appreciate you coming on. And you know that we support you and continue to do so sort of after this podcast. What do you think Diverse Tech Founders, Deep Tech Fund can do to help the grind tribe and you as an entrepreneur?
1: Just help us get our message out there.
0: You know, my message,
1: I work specifically with men, but my message is specific for everybody. You do not have to trade health for success. You have the ability to build more capacity inside of your lifestyle. And when I say capacity, and when I, even when I talk about peak performance, peak performance does not mean how much money you can generate a month or how much more you can do with business a day. Sometimes it's just how can I have a better balance with my family or with my wife or you know, for somebody or, or, or with a with, with the husband or like myself. And so when we think about this journey it's very easy to get caught inside of the milestone mentality that is the same mentality that leaves people making a lot of money than having to deal with chronic health issues because you say i'll take care of my health and i'll sleep when i have money and then we work work and we relentlessly we get there and now it's like well what's money if you have cancer or diabetes or a horrible toxic relationship with your family because you were never present and it manifested into horrible deep things and so it's it's, it can be overwhelming to think about it in that context. But what I will tell people is to find that alignment, understand what you value um, and, you know, work within those values. Take care of yourself because you can't pour into yourself, your work or anybody else if you have an empty cup.
0: That's so true. That's a, that's a really good answer to that question. The last one that we'll ask is before we let people know how to keep in touch with you is what do you think is the most valuable thing that you provide to your clients?
1: The most valuable thing that I provide to my clients is clarity. Um, one of the biggest things is I work with clients who have got a lot going on. And so when we've got a lot going on and we don't have clarity in a specific space, it's very hard to follow through and actually take action. Clarity and environment, I would say, but really clarity, being able to understand how can this process work for you, being clear day to day, week to week, month to month on what your goals are. The same way you need to be in your business is what I offer from a peak performance aspect. Yeah, I I would say
0: clarity is going to be the most important of what what I have to offer. Solid. This has really been a quick interview, in my opinion, even though it's lasted nearly an hour just because uh, yeah, no, nah, I really going to keep the flow going. Uh, so, you know, people in Atlanta, really people around the world, since you are digital and online, regardless of where you are, if you want to get your fitness up, if you want to stay high performing, if you're in a job where you make a lot of money, but your health is starting to slip, if you're not really maximizing your workouts or taking too long in there, doing it the wrong way. You've even given me advice to make sure that I don't relapse after some game. Mm -hmm. How can people get in touch with you most quickly and where can people find more information?
1: Absolutely. So people can get in touch with me. Uh, My personal Instagram is Tice, T-Y-S-E underscore the underscore trainer. Uh, Also, we have the Grind Tribe Instagram at uh, the Grind Tribe. I'm on LinkedIn as Elijah Tyson. And you can also get in touch with us directly at www.thegrindtribe.com.
0: Awesome. Short and simple. The Grind Tribe, Elijah, the trainer. Awesome having this conversation with you. And I'm looking forward to, to what happens moving forward and hopefully having you back on when you launch that next line and, and talking more about your success with the Grind Tribe. It's been a pleasure. It. Take it easy, man. Yes, sir. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you for your time. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.